0: The Drive Nation podcast with Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel.
1: We're splitting episode 47 of the Drive Nation podcast down the middle. Um, Later on, we're going to talk about rallying and why it's unquestionably the the finest form of motorsport that there is. Um, But (laughs) Andrew's shaking his head. But before we do that, we're going to talk about the new 911 GT3. Um, And that's the reason that we've had to hold on to this podcast for a few more hours. Uh, We've had to wait for the embargo to lift. And actually, we're recording this on the Friday morning before the embargo lifts. And so, while we've got the technical information, Andrew, we haven't yet seen the car. So, no, I don't know. Should we speculate a bit? It's a a shame it's a four door these days, isn't it? But yeah, well, you have to keep it
0: fresh. SUV, whatever. Um, (laughs) We haven't seen the car, but I mean, I can't imagine we're going to be terribly surprised.
1: No. This part looks like a nine eleven with to look a wing, like GT three. <laughs> uh, okay, so this is the seventh 11 GT three, and the first one came out around twenty one years ago. So we get a new GT three every three years. Um, not quite Halley's comet, is it really? But a sort of significant moment, nonetheless. Um, and frankly, if you're doing a weekly podcast, you have to make the most of these occasions, don't you? So we're going to talk about it in some detail. Um, the thing about the GT3 that always gets me is that they'll launch a new one and they'll, it's always Andreas I will talk you through all the fine details that they've made, all the refinements that they've made to this latest one to make it more powerful, to make it faster. And every, every single time he does that, you think, wow, how on earth are you going to you know, take it to the next level beyond this one? What, 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 is, what is there left to do? And with this one, we, well, we know, don't we, because it's got that new swan-style rear wing, but also it's got double wishbone front suspension rather than a McPherson strut, the first 911 to have that. So it's as, th- it's as though 911 GT3 development got to a point where they'd maximized everything that they had available to them, and they had to take a big quantum step forward just to find that next, you know, that next bit of ground.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, uh, One of the things that also interests me about it is that despite the fact that they are doing this stuff, they are finding areas in which to gain that ground. What they're not doing is compromising the principle. I mean, clearly, there are turbocharged GT cars, they're called GT2s. Um, But you would have thought, wouldn't you, that with turbochargers on all standard 911s now and this being the performance one that it would be logical for this one to be a turbocharged car but it's not um and it it interests me because it kind of bucks the trend doesn't it of the sort of more 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 that you know that every generation of car has to be substantially more powerful than the previous one i mean this car is 10 horsepower more than the last one i mean it really is it's nothing it's nothing at all it's two percent um and uh, they they just seem to be much more interested in refining the details and concentrating on the driving experience, rather than going after customers who will only buy a car if it's got a thousand horsepower and you know and this that and the other. They just they they build cars for people who like to drive, not for cars for people who like to boast about statistics in you know in pub saloon bars or whatever. And and, and, that, and that I guess is what I've always liked about these cars is that they have you know that very technical stuff that you're talking about is to me the root of their appeal and that to me is so much more um engaging and talks to me as a driver so much more than oh look it's got another 100 horsepower i'm just i'm just not bothered by that you know Um, it's enough
1: before we go any further do you like my new camera angle if you're watching on youtube you'll see um i'm sitting somewhere else in my flat a few people commented that my wall looked very naked behind me so i've got a new camera angle a less comfortable seat but my lovely poster of the, the things you hours do the for container. your audience you are such a gift 1971 <laughs> very generous aren't we uh okay so let's run through some of the technical details on the new porsche 911 gt3 um as you said still a four liter normally aspirated box a six cylinder 510 ps so that's 503 yeah. brake horsepower isn't it um more sophisticated aerodynamics we've mentioned the double wishbone front axle now still uh, you have the option of a pdk or a manual gearbox now here's a reason to have the manual with a stick and a third pedal it'll do 199 miles per hour but with pdk a mere
0: 198 oh well i mean that's all that's that's that's, that's all you need isn't it well i'll tell you one thing is quite interesting is the manual is now i think this is right only 17 kilograms lighter than the pdk Now, PDKs are the heaviest form of transmission you can get. They're heavier than conventional autos. Um, It's one of the reasons manufacturers used to quote for not having them, usually as an excuse, because actually the other thing about PDKs is they're terribly expensive. Um, But now, I mean, 18K, I mean, you know, I would just have one manual. I mean, I just, you know, of of all cars, to me, a GT3 should be manual. Even so, there isn't that big weight hit. Um, And the power's interesting, isn't it? Because it's like it now completely splits the difference between the old GT3 and the last gt3 rs um so the old gt3 i think was 500 ps the gt3 rs was 520 and this is 510 so it's kind of going straight down the middle isn't it yeah but yeah. it's still it's plenty it's, as you say it is plenty and it's and the other thing is you know this is basically and i really do mean this it's the racing car engine it's the end you know if you go and race in carrera cup in your uh, in your cup car that's the engine i mean it has changed remarkably little i would think that all the internals are the same as the race car and it is such wow it is such an engine it is so the way that it delivers what it does it kind of hardwired straight into your soul um you know it's grounds for having the car all by itself isn't it
1: yeah i mean that's often been the way with gt3 engines isn't it but this yeah, these latest ones, the post-Mexca ones, they're, they're still spectacular things, really the heart of the car. And as you say, reason enough to, to long to own one of those cars. They're, they just make the whole driving experience and you, you step out of one. I, this is what I always think when I get out of a, any car, really, that's got a soaring normally aspirated engine like that. I just think, I don't ever want to drive a turbo car again.
0: Yeah, you know? I, know I, just, what you mean. I know exactly I, I what you
1: mean. You don't miss that torque hit, do you? you? You just the way it lives on revs, the way feeling it pull through a ratio, a really yeah. high revving engine. It's just, yeah, it's intoxicating. Yeah, um, and it's
0: you know, and it's more than fast enough. More than
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so by, okay, by so my, Porsche says, go on, keep going.
0: I was going to say, by my calculations, um, it's five kilograms heavier than the last one, which doesn't strike bad, me as being very much. Um, obviously 10 horsepower more powerful it's got an identical 0-62 to time 3.4 seconds um I get it just interests me you know you'd think that you know any other manufacturer would want to claim that it's faster than the last one but Porsche doesn't seem to be the least bit bothered by that um mm. can we talk Nürburgring lap times
1: <laughs> it's unavoidable isn't it really before you do though Porsche says it generates significantly higher levels of downforce Without noticeably affecting the drag coefficient, which is interesting. Um, but go on, get on to Nurburgring. Well, no, no,
0: just on the downfall, I'm always suspicious of car manufacturers who play that card. Significantly, well, put some numbers on it. If it's significant, tell us what it is. Because significant is so subjective. Yeah. It's significant to who? To you? To me? Could, to them?
1: It, it could just mean measurable. It could be a few yeah, kilos. Yeah, well, exactly. It?
0: You know, a, a kilo is could be described as something. And mm. so, I mean, maybe it does, but you would have thought that if they had done really really impressive numbers why wouldn't you say what they are mm. um good point good point and uh, i don't know i don't know i mean th- things the, and, and this is i like kind of you know this is the journalist me coming out uh, and just thinking that that's that, you know, that's just something which uh, i don't know i don't know i just i just wish you know if you're going to say something like that back it up back it up with some facts because if you don't, people like me will always think you haven't got the facts to back it up. Now, I mean, I'm not in any way suggesting that this car has got, you know, um, miserable levels of downforce or anything else. I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's pretty good. Um, I just think it would be so much more impressive if they actually told us what it was. Um, and if you asked Porsche how much downforce does this car have, well, we will. Um, I'd be interested to see if you even get an answer out of them. Maybe you will. Maybe
1: you won't. But do you, I mean, we're pretty sceptical about downforce in road cars anyway. Is it a concern that they are, you know, they're not putting a number on it, but they're talking about higher levels of downforce? That has never made a car better to drive on the road, ever.
0: Not on the road, no, you're absolutely right. But this is a track car. And I'll tell you where downforce does work with these sorts of cars. Um, It's just stability. You know, uh, if you drive... um, I drove a Manti Racing GT3 RS um, at Silverstone not that long ago, um, which has got a lot of aero work on it. Uh, And and, and what the aero did on that car, I've no idea what the downforce number was. It just made it easier to drive, which meant you could have more confidence, which meant you enjoyed driving the car more. So to that extent... To me, downforce does work on a car which has a track brief. There's no point in using downforce on the road because if you're going around through corners fast enough for downforce to be an issue on a public road, then you shouldn't be driving a car like that. But on a car like like this, and Porsche will tell you that most of its owners will take their car on a track at one time or another, even GT3s, let alone GT3 RSs. Um, Yeah, if you can just get that high-speed stability, which really allows you to commit, then I think it is doing a useful job. Uh, I couldn't care less what it does in terms of you know G-force and that sort of thing. Not interested. No,
1: no. Okay, well, it must be that extra downforce, whatever the the, the number is, that helps with that Nurburgring lap time. So, go on. What do you make of that? So,
0: which which lap time? So they quote
1: two, don't they?
0: They quote what is it? Six fifty five point two for the uh, that's the bridge to Gantry, isn't it? That's the twenty point four k. Lab.
1: No, that it just it actually just cuts out the it's called the T13 straight. It's like a 200 meter stretch of tarmac. Um there oh. are now it seems to be there are two ways of measuring a a full Nürburgring lap time. Um and it it depends where you cut the beam basically right at the end of the lap.
0: Okay. Because it's only okay. 4 Nis- 4 mis- seconds different.
1: Yeah. Um Yeah, so so, so there, well, the
0: two t- times they are fifty five two for the 20.4k circuit and a uh, for the full (laughs) 20.8 kilometer circuit they must have been very pleased with the stopwatch on that one um now i you know so i don't know how they measured the last one but the last one uh did a 712.7 yeah so at the very best it is this new car is going what nearly 13 seconds a lap faster uh, if you take it by the other measure, then that's whatever it is, 27, 28, uh, sorry, 17, 18 seconds a lap faster, which is, even around the green, that's a lot of time, isn't it? For a car which but which has hardly any more power and what well, weighs five kilograms more. So where is that time coming from? Do you think it's coming from aero? Do you think it's coming from the front suspension? Or do you perhaps think it's coming from the fact that last time the car was on Cup 2s and this time it was on Cup 2Rs? Two,
1: Hmm. Tricky one. <laughs> we, we've we've spoken about this before, haven't we? Yes. Those chocolate tires. Those, those Michelin Pilot Sport Cup Two are they made of chewing gum, aren't they? Yeah. So, yeah. Astonishing tire to drive on. Yeah. And just an incredible tool for extracting lap times out of a car as well. So, I mean, we're right to highlight that, aren't we? There's yeah. I mean for I mean, the avoidance of
0: all three, I'm sure, will make a difference. But if you ask me. Uh, or indeed, if you ask Porsche, I'd be interested to hear the answer. But certainly, if you ask me, what is likely to have been the greatest contributor to that really pretty stark increase in lap time, uh, so a decrease in lap time? I'm going the tyres. I'm going the tyres mm. all day long, aren't you?
1: Yeah, it's got to be most of it. Yeah. Do you remember only well less than a decade ago? was maybe eight years ago? I can't remember actually. When the 918 Spider and the McLaren P1 were dipping under seven minutes around yeah. the Nurburgring, and now a 911 gt3 is a sub-seven car not there. even a
0: gt3 rs
1: yeah
0: as normally that's, aspirated okay yeah. a gt3 you're saying bog standard is a pretty is a relative term when it comes to gt3s but even so it, it is absolutely i mean sub-seven used to be the thing that people always used to talk about isn't it it was you know um ferrari didn't quote a time in fact mclaren didn't even for the p1 did they all mclaren would say was that it would go sub 7 i don't think mm. they ever said i don't think no. they ever put a number on it McL- ferrari no. didn't even go down that road and these were the fastest you know this was like 2014 2015 so you know not mm. decades ago six seven years ago um and these cars they were busting their asses to get under seven minutes and now here's a street gt3 which is going to do it
1: astonishing isn't it it, is, that it p1, is absolutely amazing that p1 so it's two or three seconds quicker i mean the track has perhaps evolved a bit since then we know tire technology has come a long way but that p1 is a probably weighs about the same doesn't it as a 911 yeah, that, yeah. which is 14 uh 1418 kilograms with a manual gearbox yeah, but um, they'd have done, the, the, they'd have done
0: had, the time in a PDK, wouldn't they? So 14.35. They, they
1: will have done 14.35, yeah. yeah so, uh, but the P1's got, cl- getting on for double the power, it's about 900, 900 and something, isn't it, the P1? Um, yeah. And it's got 600 kilograms of downforce, much yes. more than the GT3. Yeah. And it, that equates to two or three seconds around the longest track on earth. Yeah, it's and, just- it's,
0: you know, and it's a two-seat car, that was only ever conceived to go as fast yeah. as it could possibly go. Whereas a 911 is a daily driver. A GT3 is a daily driver, no question at all. I know people um, who use, as do you, their, their mm. GT3s as daily drivers. Um, yeah, I mean, fair play to them. It is, it is amazing.
1: It is absolutely amazing. Um, so, the, priced in the UK from £123,100. It's a so lot, they, isn't it? Yeah, do you remember when they were eighty grand? was probably ten years ago now, wasn't it? A GT three was eighty. Yeah, I mean the last
0: one. I looked up the last one. I think it was yeah, one hundred and eleven eight hundred two is the number I've got written down here. Okay. Um, So it's gone up twelve grand, which is Mm. what more than ten percent, isn't it?
1: Um, But but they could charge they could charge one fifty for those, couldn't they?
0: They could. And the other thing is that, you know, you were talking about when you get out of those GT3s and how you make it fit. I mean, when I get out of those GT3s, what I think to myself is, I think, is that, you know, it sits at a level. And then above that level, there are what we call conventional supercars from very limited volume manufacturers um, with a lot more power and, you know, mid-engine two-seaters and whatever. And you get out of a GT3 and you think, well, actually... What is the? What are those other cars actually buying you? Are they really that much faster? Are they any more fun to drive? Um, and clearly they're much more expensive. Clearly you can use them in fewer numbers of ways. Um, and I get out of those GT3s, and I just think that for, for me, for what I want a car to do, they are just—they're just there. And you know, obviously we must reserve judgment about this car, and it's possible they've made a complete horlicks of it and we get out of it and thinking what do they think they're playing i i kind of doubt that's going to happen um i expect it's going to be amazing but um yeah i mean i i I just think you know that is the way that people should be thinking um because i think the power level is about right um and they should be just be thinking about getting weight out of the car and just making these things better to drive
1: i find it interesting you're absolutely right that No one really has come along with a direct competitor to this car and followed the same technical blueprint, offering a manual, not ramping up power with every iteration. Yeah. Uh, Just staying true to those original principles. I
0: I mean, there have been some sort of attempts there. I mean, something like a V12 Vantage Aston. That's kind of going down that, that 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 sort of route, and I guess Mercedes would be jumping up and down and go, "Hang on, what about us? What about the GTR AMG and and that sort of thing?" But they're just not quite there, are they? I mean, I love don't, don't get me—I mean, a V twelve Vantage S is 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 just a wonderful car, and it and it connects with me emotionally. But you know, give me a lap and a racetrack, I'd just get in the GT three um, because you know it would just be. It would just be better wouldn't it um and this and and the same is true of the the gt i mean the gt3 is is just a better lighter more engaging more capable car um and so you know i think the reason there have as you say been so few people to have a go at it um is because it's it's just it's, it must just be so hard mm. you know how do you do it
1: maybe yeah, you're really setting maybe, yourself up for a full yeah, like maybe, one, like may, m-
0: maybe one day um Ferrari will do a Dino um or McLaren will bring something in below the price point of the new Artura which I really shouldn't say with that Italian accent should I um but I'm not holding my breath because I don't think that they think that's where their business is um and I kind of understand that so I think for now um Porsche got the feel to itself
1: So what are you hoping for from this new GT3? Just more of the same? Or do you want it to do something that earlier ones haven't done before? I
0: just want it to be better at the stuff those cars have always been good at. Uh, I I, I can't really see how the powertrain can get any better. Um, I love the usability of those cars. Uh, That's why I'm sure, I don't know this, but I'm sure there will be a touring version coming along. Um, i can't see why they wouldn't Um, those cars are so revered now their residuals are so good Um, and to me of all those cars um, be they gt3s gt 3 rs's gt 2 rs's whatever it's all is that touring which to me is the sweet spot because it seems to me you don't lose very much but the the visual subtlety of it and just that slight extra veneer of civility in it, it doesn't affect my enjoyment of the car when I'm driving it like an idiot. But just to be able to go about your business so discreetly in what to the outside world looks to like to anybody, um, like just another 911. I mean, if I had one, I'd have it in a dark colour, I'd take all the badges off it, um, and I would just love it and keep it forever. So I just hope that, you know, I, I am confident that the car will be as good, if not better, to drive than any previous GT3. Um, and so, I would just like it to be even easier to live with too. So, you know, the, the, the head and the heart are even more catered for. Um, but you know, I'm not complaining about the last one. Um, it's it's it was, it's a wonderful thing. But yeah, that, that's what I would do. What, what what about you?
1: Well, I've just been wondering about what what they might do with it to try and move the game along and. I think it would be a mistake, wouldn't it, to make the car tougher, harder riding in, order, in that pursuit of more performance. It would be a mistake if it was less usable, if it was more raw, more, more of a pain in the neck in normal driving than but, the, but the previous But that's
0: what the GT3 RS is for, isn't it?
1: Exactly, right, yeah. yeah. And yeah, actually, yeah, car... I,
0: th- I thought the previous, didn't well, the most recent GT3 RS, um, was in danger of going a little bit too far down that road, because it's very raw. Um, and it is compromised on the road. I mean, it's 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 mega on the track, but even on the track, and I do quite like this about it. Um, and this is where it contrasted quite starkly with the an Manti racing car. It's quite tricky. You do kind of need to have your wits about you on a track in a GT3 RS. Um, it, it it is set up to be a little bit spiky. I mean, it's not vicious or anything else um but you need to be on your toes you can't just take it for granted that it's always going to come back and that you can be a bit sort of slack with it or whatever you, you just need to be on it a bit um and i don't mind that on the track but on the road and the gt3 rs is still a road car i just found it was just a bit too I think they didn't. They double the spring rate on that car over the previous one, or it was up fifty percent or something. Um, and I personally, I think that was. I, th- I think that just went too far for that car's for that car's purpose. But you know, these things are all subjective, and that's just my view. But the GT three, I think, was was pretty spot on. To be honest with you, mm.
1: yeah, that's the danger, isn't it? It's so right that they. I, I get the sense from car manufacturers that often they can't bear to stand still, and unless they can show on a spreadsheet where gains yeah. have been made a car yeah. won't make its its way out the door um, yeah but also I, I, the,
0: I, I, the, the, the customer doesn't want to be buying an old car does he or she that's the thing isn't it you know they could leave they could have left the old gt3 in production uh, but then you know you'd oh, the, the market would get saturated with cars uh, the people were thinking do i really want to buy a car that's been in the marketplace for four years probably not and they'd just be storing up all sorts of trouble for themselves um and so that they do although that you know, porsche obviously don't say how many they build just by the length of time it's in production um they do keep numbers down they do keep on top of the residuals but i mean you know if you went and drove a gt3 touring now i don't think you'd be getting out of that and thinking oh my goodness this car needs replacing
1: <laughs> no, i think sure you get you out of it
0: and you still think frankly there's nothing for this money that i'd rather have um, and I think probably the big, the big change, I think, you know, in 80% of the driving that 80% of the people will do will be the stuff that's actually common to other 992s. It'll be, yeah, you know, it'll be the connectivity and it'll be the NAV system and it'll be the TFT readouts and, and all that sort of thing, all of which will make the car feel a lot more sophisticated. Um, mm. Yeah.
1: Well, well, we'll drive it soon enough, and we'll find out. But I, I just hope that as they chase more and more performance and more grip, which is actually what the double wishbone front axle is all about, they haven't forgotten that these cars are supposed to be engaging and rewarding at not completely bonkers speeds on the public highway. So, I don't know. We'll find out, I suppose. Right, let's leave the 911 GT3 there. We're going to talk about rallying.
0: No, Which you're is, going to talk
1: about rallying because I know nothing about rallying. Well, that, that's fine. I want to sort of investigate that a little bit. Um, just give us 20 seconds on your view on rallying. And of course, it's such a huge spectrum. Um, but, yeah. I mean, is it on your radar? Do you ever go out and watch them? Can you, are you interested?
0: What do you think? My, my view on rallying is there is a theory and there is a reality in theory i should love rallying um i think it is one of the very last remaining truly heroic forms of motorsport you know i look at those guys going down those gravel tracks with all the countryside and scenery and things that they could hit around them at those sorts of speeds and i am absolute awe of them um you know, I've sat next to one or two of them and they do things with cars I didn't know that anyone could do with cars, let alone um, someone like me. Um, there have been some rally cars that I have absolutely adored. I mean, you know, 037 Nancy's and you know, stuff like that. Um, some of the most viscerally exciting competition cars of any kind that there have ever been. Um, you know, so th- there have been some unbelievable rally drivers. Um, and... In theory, I should just be obsessed with it, but i 'm not and i and, and I have thought knowing that this podcast was coming up. I have thought about why that is, and I think that part of it is that it 's all against the clock um, and you you know you measure your performance against the next man or woman 's performance uh, on a stopwatch, not by trying to post one up the inside into and and that is a a huge component you know when i watch a grand prix frankly i'm only interested in the i'm only interested in the overtaking i'm not interested in watching lewis break a lap record i'm not interested in watching anybody drive around the track fast i'm interested in in, in man against man a machine against machine you know millimeters apart 200 miles an hour all fighting for the same piece of tarmac that's what floats my boat in formula one and all other forms of track-based motorsport um, and it is the one thing you don't get in rallying um so uh, and and, and, I, and I, it's not that i thought to myself well i don't like rallying because of that it's because i have sat down i thought well why don't why aren't i a huge rally fan and looking through it i can only really identify that as a reason um well, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, maybe it was one of those things, it's one of those things that what I should do is I should just make a concerted effort over the course of a season to really, really get it. Watch every rally and actually go out and watch some local stuff. Um, maybe even do a rally. Um, wow, I would yeah. quite like to do that. <laughs> um, That's a good idea. And then maybe I would, maybe I would suddenly, it's not that I don't get it. I do get it. I get rallying completely. Um it just somehow feels not for me whereas for you it is far more exciting and interesting and fun and wonderful than formula one or perhaps any other kind of circuit racing isn't it
1: well i don't know actually i I do love it um i'm not sure i'd necessarily take it over any other form of motorsport i think in 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 preparing for this you suggested i'd far rather watch a rally than uh, be in Monaco for the Grand Prix, and I'd, I actually—that's not quite right. I'd, I'd like to be able to do both. Um, yeah, but, the, but, the, yes, but okay.
0: So, so but, but so the way I put it to you was Monaco or Monte Carlo, and you can only do one.
1: Well, <laughs> I I can't really. I've never watched the Grand Prix, so I'd do that. But uh, I don't know. Honestly, honestly, I, I can't really split them. Um, I, I love them both because you're right. It's it's the wheel to wheel racing that makes f1 and other forms of circuit racing so exciting um the trouble with rallying and there are a few issues one it's difficult to follow you know i i don't even know where i can watch rounds of the world championship on tv
0: yeah
1: it's and it's always somewhere different year to year it seems so it's difficult to get into a rhythm of watching everyone whereas a grand prix i know when it's on i know i can watch it it takes two hours out of my weekend and then it's done um and so I have my frustrations with rallying and it's even more so when you try and watch one of the buggers because, do you know, in the past I've been so irritated with rally organisers for allowing their events to be so difficult to spectate on. You, for the most part, you really have to get stuck in there with an OS map and mm. trace these tiny little uh, footpaths from one point to another and work out how you're gonna, where you're going to park, how long it's going to take to walk from here to here. And I understand that's the nature of the beast because rallies are rallies, but I just, I just think it needs to be modernised so that it's far easier just to turn up somewhere, follow your phone, go here, stand, and then you're on a rally stage watching rallying. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think, I mean, I think have, it's off-putting. They have a bit of that,
0: haven't they, with sort of, you know, special stages around stately homes and, and that sort of a thing. A little but that bit, all, but it's that all not also the sort same. of feels a bit artificial. I can remember mm. coming to watch you <laughs> when you were sharing with our friend chris harris in yeah he didn't what was it? To go it was far it? it was a e30 325i yeah um and you were navigating it chris was driving it um and this was in the y dean rally yeah which sadly isn't happening at the moment um but it's 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 a it's a rally that's local to where i live in the y valley um and i did exactly what it was just like. i just went off blundering through the woods and eventually I found, I, I, I came across a sort of scattering of people. Um, and I just ended up standing there for a very long time, getting extremely cold. And then occasionally a Voxel Nova or something like that, <laughs> <become laughs> futting past. Um, and <sighs> I don't know, I, there was a long time spent getting cold for not much time watching rally cars and i think actually by that stage i think you guys had actually broken so i don't think i even got i ever even got to see you guys come past so it was a complete waste of time there were some interesting bits uh there were some guys who came through you know fully lit properly committed and that was genuinely exciting but i was quite scared too not for myself because i'm not a complete idiot but there are clearly some people who watch rallying who are complete idiots and they stand in really stupid places um and i was scared for them because I, i'm just because i've I've got an imagination um and i'm just you know standing there thinking if that car has brake failure now or if he hits a a tree stump um which takes a wheel off or just causes him to lose control or the navigators read out a, a wrong pace note or he just gets a bit of brain fade because he has he's a bit tired or he had a row with the missus last night you know that bloke standing on the outside of that corner has no chance whatsoever um and you know there's a part of me which thinks well that's all very intrepid and that's kind of quite old school um but there's more of me which just thinks it's unnecessary
1: yeah i mean i I understand what you're saying about when people stand in stupid places yeah it does it does ruin your enjoyment of it because you just think well if a car goes off there i've witnessed something terrible and i don't i don't want that to happen um yeah but i mean we have to distinguish between the Y dean rally great event though it is and a proper world championship round. Um, and the thing, the thing about spectating on a rally, apart from the fact that it's, it's difficult, and it really takes a lot of effort and a lot of input to get it right, um, and a lot of time, um, you can have such varying experiences, depending purely on where you stand and which section of stage you're on. Okay, and I've got a good example of this. A few years ago, when I was following rallying, Uh, quite closely, I was doing, going to a lot of the World Championship rounds, I did um, rally Finland. I've only done it once and I was really excited because it's perhaps the most spectacular, um, they do call it the gravel Grand Prix, but the most spectacular rally to, to watch, at least the footage that I'd seen. The stages are so fast. There's enormous jumps. I mean, it looks astonishing. I was really looking forward to this. And the first stage we turned up to was we were positioned on a tight hairpin. We're probably 100, 150 metres away from the cars. And you, you saw them for each car for 10 seconds. They'd come around the corner, slow down, round a hairpin, and then power off and disappear again. And I just thought, actually, this is no spectacle whatsoever. And I would rather not be here watching this. And then later in the day, we went elsewhere, where the cars were quite literally flying past us. And it was the most astonishing thing yeah. I've witnessed in, 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 of any form of motorsport. Yeah. So it's, it can vary greatly. I suppose that's true with Formula One isn't it, as well, isn't it? If you're, if you're sat by a slow corner, it's okay. But if you're, if you're sat somewhere where there's overtaking action and no, I th- I the cars are more really so. going... No, I think it's
0: much more so in rallying. I think um, it is, yeah. I, I really do. And maybe that's part of the issue. Maybe as a spectator... You know, you can as long as you're rich enough, and goodness knows you do have to be rich these days. But you can just buy a ticket to Silverstone and go and sit in the grandstand, and and it, and it's all just easy, isn't it? Indulging your passion for rallying isn't easy, is it? Um, no. The, what the probably the greatest rally fan I ever knew as a friend was the late Russell Bulgin, that extraordinary writer, um, who very sadly died well a long time ago now. But anyway, he was a complete rally nut. And, you know, he would go anywhere at really, really unusual times in the morning just to get um, the best vantage point. And he knew where all the great places were in all the great rally stages all over the UK, be they in, the, you know, in Wales or up in the Lake District or, or, or wherever. Um, and he would take everything with him, um, all his food, all his coffee, he'd take a, a, a somewhere to sit. And, and he'd just sit down and that would be him. He would just be happy as larry for the rest of the day and he'd just sit there and he'd just watch cars coming past and, and and for him that was that was you know his his passion and if it is that's great but it's such a commitment isn't it? Uh, it both in terms of knowledge and in time and 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 frankly in terms i was about to say personal suffering maybe that's somewhat overdoing it but you know you are going to be out in some pretty inclement weather aren't you Um, for very long periods of time and you really do have to absolutely love it to want to do that whereas to go and watch well anything from a Formula 1 race to a little clubby you know if I want to go watch a little clubby I'll go half an hour down the road and I'm at Castle Coombe of a weekend it'll cost me nothing to get in Um, and I can just watch you know cars going around the circuit it's really terribly easy to indulge my passion you know as a spectator um, and so maybe that's also part of the problem is that there there is no middle ground it's not like you know you're either going to be absolutely committed to it and love it or it's very difficult to maintain a sort of armchair well, sure enthusiast interest for it isn't it
1: okay let me describe um, my last visit to Wales Rally GB to you um, and at some point you're going to think actually that sounds quite fun okay so it was 2019, this is when the rally was in October, not right at the end of the year, so it was only a little bit chilly, it wasn't freezing. I think it's probably about 4am that Chris Harris pulled up outside my flat in a Panamera that he'd blagged for the weekend. Yeah. Um, That's I jumped most in. people go we rallying,
0: were, isn't it? Most people actually, when they go to Washoe, they go they to Panamera and <laughs> so they
1: blag from Porsche. <laughs> okay, so we were quite privileged. And then we went round the corner, picked up my other mate, um, and then, so the three of us packed off in this Panamera across the bridge with a boot full of uh, bacon and bread rolls and sausages and crisps. And we had a couple of barbecues. We met up with um, another car with three more mates in it. And we we set off through mid Wales up to Ryder and then uh, had a good drive up there and then pulled off um, onto a gravel track. And by that time, it's probably 7am or something Um, and then we we parked up about a mile from the stage um, and we got the barbecue going had some teas and coffees and bacon rolls and sausages and then we wandered up to the stage watched the first lot through and that was brilliant fun because we had a good spot Um, then we wandered back down had another barbecue a bit more food lots of laughs a little bit later on we went back up the hill um, to a new spot, watch the cars come through again, and then we piled off home and went to the pub. It was you, you, when when you make it's when you really commit to it, when you really commit to it, yeah, it, it can yeah, okay. be fantastic.
0: Okay, so so that's a proper commitment, but it's also it's you know it's involving your mates and, and okay, I will make this commitment. If next time you do that, and, and if you want to ask me along, and I will come along and yeah. I will and I will give it my best shot um <laughs> okay. it, it, it does sound like fun doing it that way with your buddies and with a barbecue it's but it's all about isn't it? it's all about the prep clearly it's all yeah in you've got to be ready having the right clothing having the right food having the right transport having the right mates knowing where to go you it's all about the prep and if you mess up any one of those um you might not have such a great day but i'll do it i would like because i, I am genuinely interested in why i'm not interested Um, and, and I would like that passion to be sparked and I would like to, what I would really like to do. I thought this would happen actually to me when Colin Goodwin took me to the Isle of Man for the TT. Um, and I want to do that as a separate podcast. Um, so I'm not gonna talk about it a lot, but actually that was too much for me. I came away with that with my head. So completely and utterly blown, um, in ways that were bad as well as good. Um, I haven't been back. Um, but what I want with rallying is to, go, is, is to go up there and have that experience that you had with my buddies, with the right gear, and come away thinking, this is now on the calendar. I'm going to do this every single year for as long as... It, because it, it, it's just a day out, which you have to have. Um, that would make me very happy.
1: Okay, I just want to flesh this out a little bit. Why rallying is so good. For, I mean, for people who have never really followed it or given it much attention, the fundamentals of it we need to... We need to discuss a little bit now because it's, it's a multifaceted form. There are so many elements that make it really interesting, to me at least. Okay? There's you know even the pace notes, the fact that you're, the drivers are operating with a co-driver. And there's that whole relationship between them and that understanding and that, that sense of rhythm and timing between them. It's fundamental to the sport, right? There's the fact that you're interacting with the scenery, that it, it takes place often in very, very beautiful landscapes. And so the images and the footage that you get from these events is spellbinding to look at. There's the fact that the rallies are shorter now, but they're still very long days, um, three or four days in a row. And I think it, I mean, it is an exhausting thing to do. Um, so there's, there's a sense of endurance about it. Um, some of the stages are really long and the concentration and effort and energy that it takes to get every corner right, mile after mile after mile, very often the conditions are unbelievably tricky. Let's take the Monte um, Monte Carlo Rally, tarmac stages, but often snow and ice. And so the cars are just on tiptoes all that way. And the best drivers, they just don't make mistakes. It's it, it's unbelievable how skilled those crews are. And then there's the variety, right? In Formula One, what, what's the the most variety in terms of the circuits? Maybe Monaco to Spa?
0: Monaco to Spa or Monza, yeah.
1: Yeah. Or, maybe, they're, they're
0: still... or, 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 or maybe somewhere like Malaysia.
1: Yeah. But there's still tarmac circuits, okay? In rallying, You've got tarmac, tarmac rallies, but no two tarmac rallies are the same. You might have the Monty, which has got snow and ice. You might have Spain, which is very smooth, very wide, often very fast. Ireland's not on the calendar these days, but it has been. And those roads are so bumpy, those tarmac roads, that the teams run actually what's closer to a gravel suspension setup. Uh, and that's just tarmac. You've then got gravel, and there is no There are no two gravel rallies that are the same. You might have mud. You might have water, like we do in Rally GB. You might have very fast, very um, smooth, fine gravel, like in Finland. You might have very, very rocky gravel, like Portugal or Mexico, somewhere like that. And then you've got Sweden or or Norway. You've got snow and ice. And if you're going to consistently compete at the front, if you're going to win championships, you need to be as good as anybody else, on all of those surfaces. and it, it just blows my mind that these guys are able to do that. Also, the current World Championship cars, they're so fast. When yeah, you watch one come herring through a quick bit of stage, it's unbelievable. They're, they're so much faster. Presumably,
0: over a stage, they'd be quicker than the old Group B
1: cars would be so so much quicker yeah i mean so these are the quickest rallying cars that they have ever been oh absolutely there's no question whether or not they're as spectacular to watch as a group car is it totally different not matter but they're so much faster um and it, a lot of that is down to the aero you can see just looking at those cars how much downforce they create um and you can see it Well often uh you know a bit of footage will appear on twitter or instagram won't it of Often it's Thierry Nerville, because he's so committed, come flying through the stage, and you just think, my God, that car is pinned to the ground. Um, so the current cars, I, you know, I, I think the World Championship at the moment, with at least four guys competing at the front, often more, it, it's in such a good place at the moment. Um, and, yeah, the, the, the cars really are spectacular.
0: So can I ask you some, and these are just questions as they occur to me, I, I haven't done anything organised or write a list, but can I just ask you some questions, which to me as a sort of novice rally enthusiast, I, I, don't, I genuinely don't know the answer to, to, to yep. any of these. First of all, why is there no Wales rally, rally GB this year? And is, and is it going to come back?
1: Uh, it's all COVID. It will, I'm okay. sure it will. You, you never know, do you? I hope it will come back. Um, but yeah, COVID it's i think it's the uncertainty you know you, you think rallying is maybe the most covid friendly motorsport there is because you're out in the woods but i think it's all yeah. about um, being able to commit or not at a certain point to the event happening and they couldn't I, so it's uh,
0: but, but 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 have have other rallies been been cancelled on the calendar uh,
1: i think some have yeah i think they okay. have but uh the the monty it was the shortest ever monty this year because of covid and they I think they had to start very, very early in the morning because there was effectively a curfew, a curfew in the evening and the crews had to be back in their hotels. Um, okay. So uh, rallies are being affected still.
0: Okay. Pace notes. Why yeah. do they not... Uh, I mean, I, I sit and I watch rallying on the rare occasions that I do and I hear the navigator reading out the pace notes And even if I can understand what he's saying, which I rarely can, it appears to bear no relation whatever to what the car is doing or what's immediately in front of the car. So just talk us through, help me understand pace notes so when I next see it, I'll enjoy it more. And why do they not, um, I don't know, why can't they put up on the screen somewhere uh, like a sort of visual representation of what the bloke's actually saying Um, so you can understand what you're hearing?
1: Well, the latter point, I guess it's because the crews all have their own systems. Yeah. There'll be similarities, but they all do it their own way. So you'd, you'd need to be able to interpret everything that they're saying. You'd um, need to submit a I,
0: script in advance, wouldn't you?
1: You would, and I suspect crews yeah. would be unhappy about doing that. Sure. Because they all have their, their own little hint, tips and tricks and you know, um, little bits in their notes. Um, I, I completely understand what you're saying. I'll watch a bit of footage, and the co drivers going off like a like an auctioneer and yeah you, you, it, it doesn't seem to make any sense but that's part of the mystery and the majesty of rallying is the fact that the driver is interpreting all that and making sense of it as he's going so how many how
0: many corners ahead is the co-driver calling is it literally it what's on... coming up next or is it or, or, or has that or is the driver so far ahead of the car that he's actually you know, already mentally filed what the next one is with the previous instruction, and he's actually asking for instructions, which are like two corners down the road.
1: It depends on the, the type of stage, how many corners there are per mile, effectively. But yeah, I mean, it's, they're quite a long, way down, a, a, a long way down the road with the pace notes. So that's why it doesn't make any sense. You'll hear okay. um, three left, and the car goes around a right-hander. You just think, well, well, what's happened there? But it's because they're al- the notes are a long way ahead of the car because okay, the driver th- needs I, I, to be able to set the car up early.
0: So, And three refers to the gear you should be in?
1: Not necessarily. It has done in the past, but... I mean, all the systems are different. Some use descriptive corner, so they'll say, I don't know, it'll be a, a medium left rather than a three left. But it is, it, every, every cruise note system is different, and this is where Burnsy and Robert Reed they, they moved the game on in this sense, because they had the most detailed notes at the time, and that was, that was Robert Reed's. Great contribution to rallying was along with Richard Burns coming up with this very very clever system of pace notes. And Loeb did something similar, right? It's oh, we can get stuck into it now. As it's been explained to me, one of the limitations that Colin McRae had was that his his notes would describe would effectively tell him how quickly he could drive the car, um, which is fine if everything's going well for you. But if you're not happy with the setup. If you're not happy with visibility, if there's an issue with the car, you, you then can't go as fast as your pace notes are telling you to go. So you don't get into that rhythm. Whereas people like Burns and Loeb and others, I'm sure, they preferred a pace note system that described the road to them, that told them in very, in very, very fine detail what was coming up. And, and then so they, they would decide how fast that. in the circumstances
0: yeah. that they found themselves in at the time. That is yeah. very interesting.
1: Which, okay, Which is very, very clever.
0: Okay, so um, do you require different talents to be able to drive fast on gravel or on snow or on tarmac? And do you therefore get certain drivers who are specialists? You know, you're on the Tour de France, don't you? You get some light sprint specialists or, or, or whatever. Mm. Do you get drivers who are really good at certain rallies and not so good at others? And if you want to be world champion, do you have to be absolutely at the top level for everything or can you still afford to be you know a bit better at one type than the other
1: depends on the calendar but you don't really have specialists these days like not like you used to at least There, back in the 90s early noughties there there really were specialists um guys like philip Bogowski and Gilles itzi these guys are real tarmac specialists right and some of uh, uh, some of them they could win certain tarmac rallies because they were so good um, and the, their cars were so well suited to these events that they could win those rallies in non-wrc cars so in the category below in a front-wheel drive um <coughs> what are they called f2 car so it's, yeah so like it's got much less power if, yeah well it, it would be front-wheel drive rather than four-wheel drive oh, so which okay, R5 yeah is. So, but because their cars were so well-suited to these events and because they were so good on tarmac, they could win. Um, and people like Panitzi would drop in just for two rounds and win them. And they wouldn't do any other rallies that year, but they'd be in a, in a top-spec car. But because he was so good, he'd win. Um, and then there were Finland specialists. For a long time, only Nordic drivers won Finland. And same for Sweden, same for Norway. Um, but what happened, and I think this was the Loeb effect as much as anything, is that Loeb applied his very precise driving style to rallying. He applied a circuit driving technique to rallying and he, and he applied it very, very effectively. And what he did was he, he applied it to all surfaces, um, so he 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 started driving in this very neat, very precise way on gravel. Um, and what happened over time was that all the other drivers got, uh, you know, they, they found their way up to his level. So we're at a point now where all the best guys in the world can win on any surface because that level, that bar has just been raised so high that there are no, there are no more specialists. You know, there might be guys who are better suited to certain rallies, but They don't win it because actually they're no better than the best all rounders who are just operating on an astonishing level. Um, It is a pity actually because it was good fun when there were specialists because it would mix it up. Um, But now they're just, they're all, the top guys are so good that they're as adept on snow and ice and gravel as they are tarmac.
0: Okay, so. And this happens occasionally, but when it does happen, and it's all, in my, to my understanding, it's always resolved one way. So you get these, people do these features, don't they, where they put a racing driver in a rally car and then they put a rally driver in a racing car. And the rally driver always does better in the racing car than the racing driver does in the, in the rally car. Is that because, basically, rally drivers are better than racing drivers?
1: Um, I I think it's because... Driving on tarmac in a, even if you're in a single seater, is more like driving on tarmac in a rally car than driving. You, you, do you go on saying? I, th- I think adjusting to a new surface with all the all the challenges that come with it is a far greater challenge for a circuit driver to adapt to. Um, it's an interesting point. The thing is, nowadays though, if you put if you put a rally driver in a Formula 1 car okay. so Loeb was actually quite close a while ago to doing um, a Grand Prix with Toro Rosso and it would have been great if he'd done it but he'd have been whooped he'd have been whooped just because it's not possible for anyone to jump in a Formula 1 car and compete at that level against guys who do it every other weekend yeah. um, these days
0: it was, there was a time when days. guys like um, Vic Elford could do that but yeah. the world has just moved on to a completely different place in both sports.
1: I think all forms of motorsport have become more uh, specific. Yeah. So the, the skill set required has become more honed, more refined, and there's as a as a consequence, there's less crossover.
0: Okay. So who is okay, so a few things about the best rally drivers. So who is the best rally driver of all time? Who is the best rally driver at the moment? Uh, who is the Sterling Moss of rally drivers? Who is the you know the rally driver who never won the world title uh, but absolutely had all the talent to to do so? Um, and who is your personal favorite hero rally driver?
1: Uh, Sebastian Loeb is is my hero rally driver. He's the one that I sort of respect and admire the most. Um, he he just he raised the bar higher than anybody else. Raised it before, um, I mean his his nine world championships, all those wins, they, they speak for themselves, I, and he 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 changed the driving style
0: when the win the world championship.
1: Well, 2019, <laughs> it wasn't too long ago. Ott Tänak, an oh, yeah. okay, okay. back 19. But before then, it was Petter Solberg in '03. Um, so wow. yeah, I mean it, it was it was quite a while, but. Loeb, he, he changed the driving style that you have to employ to, to win in rallying. He just he turned the game on its head. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he is, he is for me, the, the best there's been. Ogier, he's Seb 2.0. Um, he, he might well match Loeb's career statistics if he sticks with it for long enough. Um, who's the guy who should have won? I was reflecting on this the other day, actually. Yari Mati Latvala. He is now team principal at Toyota. He's taken over from Tommy Mackinnon. When he, he won, I think he was 17 years old when he first won a round of the World Championship. Isn't that extraordinary? 17 years old. It blows my mind to think about that. And at that point, we all thought, well, here's a new wonder kid, multiple world champion. Um, over a 17-year career that followed, I think he won 20 something rallies. So not maybe one and a half per season, something like that. So we all thought the floodgates were going to open, and this kid was going to dominate the sport. He never won a world championship. It was and Miko Hervonen's the other one. He won a lot of rallies. He came second in the championships a, a few times, but. There was a period where these two young Finnish guys were coming through and everybody thought they were going to dominate the sport between them. The trouble is they arrived in the Loeb era and Loeb redefined the driving style and those guys didn't have it.
0: Okay, one last question because I know we're about to time out. I want you to tell me, but you have to listen to the question first. So the question, the the short question is who was a better rally driver, Colin McRae or Richard Burns? But the long question is not who was the most talented Uh, who could go the most sideways, which one you preferred as a person. But as an all-round, the whole picture as a rally driver, all those things, all those different things that you have to bring to the party to be able to call yourself a world-class rally driver. As a rally driver, who was better?
1: I understand why you're saying that because McRae's driving style was spectacular and he's revered because of it. He crashed a lot. Um, I think he... I think he, re- he actually arrived in the wrong era, although he didn't because the number of crashes he had, if you have those crashes in a Group B car, it's game, game over. over. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the World Rally cars that arrived in the late 90s, they required too much of a, too precise a driving style that didn't suit him. He liked to fling the car around. He didn't want to feel any arrow on the car. He wanted the yeah. car to move and he was unmatched at that um, Burns was better suited to these more sophisticated cars that you drive neatly, drive smoothly. He had more of a lobe style. Um, didn't crash so often. He elevated pace notes to a, a, an unseen level. I understand why you asked the question. And I think as an all-rounder, probably Burns. Wow. Very interesting. I didn't anyway, think you'd say that. Well, didn't you say there that? There we go. That, that, was, yeah, that was, really was really interesting. I was really
0: interested in rallying. Now you've, you've done yeah. the job. That Don't was good fun, wasn't it? it? I've, I've enjoyed that. No.
1: <laughs> okay, well, we'll have to get you out on a, a round of the world championship at some point. I and afford have it. some fun spectating. Uh, all right, let's wrap that one up. Thanks, everybody, for listening or watching, if you've been watching on YouTube. I hope you've enjoyed my new backdrop. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the channel. Please do. We're going to be posting way more video content. So hit that subscribe button. Um, and if you're just listening to the audio podcast, thank you for downloading it. Again, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and a rating. Um, we'll be back again next week to do some more podcasting. Um, by that point, we w- there will be a new McLaren. That's quite interesting, isn't it? There'll be a new McLaren to talk yeah. about. We'll do some of that. The Artura.
0: Um, We're allowed to say its name. Yeah. Um, so no one always those frustrating things. I know I've got all the details on that car.
1: Um, <laughs> and they're Can't sitting there.
0: And I, and I could just splurge them now. But I'd never drive another McLaren again, so I'll keep it to myself for a a, a few more days yet.
1: Yeah, seven days. We'll we'll do it then. Thanks, everybody, for, for listening or for watching, and we'll talk to you again soon.
0: All the best. The Drive Nation podcast with Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel.